Some time ago, I was looking in a pawn shop window, like you do, and uh, displaying things that people had brought into the pawn shop, but uh, they'd either sold them to the shop or they had pawned them, and uh, there were items in the window. And I noticed particularly on some of them, there was a, a little ticket, and it said, unredeemed. So in other words, someone had taken it in. Uh, perhaps they'd taken something in that was worth a few hundred pounds, and uh, they'd received just a few pounds and a, a ticket, and they could go back and pay that few pounds and a little bit more, and they could redeem, they could buy back that object, but they'd failed to do so. And so it was now being sold, not being redeemed, unredeemed. The verse I want to leave with you this morning is verse 7 of Ephesians 1, where we read, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Last week we looked at three things from this chapter. Firstly, we looked at the fourfold description of the blessings that belong to the children of God. How that these blessings continue, they're not something just in the past, but they continue day by day. That they're spiritual blessings, they're heavenly blessings, they're something that comes uh, from another place, and they're complete in Christ. And then in the evening, we considered the Christian's inheritance. Uh, we thought about what that, what that is and how it comes to us and its nature and who will actually possess that inheritance. We saw not only is it an inheritance of something to look forward to, uh, but the scripture says we have an earnest, we have a, a foretaste of that inheritance now. And then on Tuesday evening, we considered the blessing of being accepted in the beloved. And so uh, this morning we're going to look at another of those blessings from this passage, and that is uh, redemption. You know, if, if we're unredeemed, if we are like that object in the pawn shop, then that's, that's how we are this morning, we're unredeemed. And uh, the object of really preaching this morning is that we might see a need for being redeemed, and we might see exactly what that is. Um, you know, the pawn shop is an illustration, isn't it, of that verse before us. For the evil one came in Genesis and tempted Eve, who then with Adam by disobedience sold themselves into captivity. They sold themselves into sin. They willingly put themselves into bondage. And with them all humanity that follow in that lineage, we are born in bondage. We're born, as it were, unredeemed. And the great need for each one of us is to be redeemed, to be bought back. You know, at its simplest, that's what redemption means, being purchased back. Now, there's a breadth and depth to this term, and uh, this morning, just for a little while, we're going to look at five things that redemption points to. The first is, redemption points to captivity. If I take something into the pawn shop, perhaps I take my watch off, and I'll take that, uh, watch off, it's here, uh, and I take that into the pawn shop, uh, it's then out of my control. It's with the person in the pawn shop. I have no right over that anymore. I've received a few pounds and a ticket, uh, and that is it. It's under the control of someone else. It's, it's captive. And so redemption points us and reminds us that mankind is 
captive. We are in bondage. We're in bondage of the law, which we can't keep. We're in bondage to sin because we're sinners. We're in bondage to the evil one because of what happened in the Garden of uh, Eden. It's the same term used for slavery. Uh, People were redeemed out of slavery if someone was able to buy them and pay the money. And we're reminded that we're in bondage to a slavery, a slavery of sin. Hebrews 2.15 says that uh, Christ delivers us who through the fear of death were all our lifetime subject to bondage. Bondage to sin. Uh, And of course some people when they become aware of sin uh, usually go two ways. Either we begin to realise that that is an offence to God and, and it needs to be dealt with. And some people actually want to continue in their sin because they say, well, I enjoy that. I'm just going to ignore God. But either way, either approach, we are born in sin and we are captive to that sin. And that's a vital teaching of Scripture, that the whole world is guilty before God. We are all condemned. And the Lord brings this knowledge to people that we might know and feel it. And it's sad when people... A lot of people in the world have no knowledge of these things, only just a vague awareness as they see things around them. And uh, it's a vital part of the gospel message. Uh, And I suppose we take the illustration of my watch, it sits in the pawn shop, it has no awareness, it's just an an object, isn't it? Uh, And a lot of people today are in captivity, They, they are dead in trespass and sin, they are unaware of their condition. And indeed the scripture uh, says, doesn't it, that when the law becomes alive, when we begin to see the law of God, when we begin to understand these things, then we find that we have a a conscience there and we have a certain uh, measure of guilt before God. Redemption points us to this captivity. So a few years ago now we were thinking about the, uh, the anniversary of the abolition of slavery. Remember, slaves were in bondage to their masters. Many had been brought from uh, Africa, transported to the Caribbean, uh, and then they were passed on either to America or or back to this country, uh, and and they were captive. They had no rights whatsoever. But the day came when they were freed by uh, the law that was passed. Their masters had no longer hold on. They were redeemed by that new law. They'd been captive all their lives. But now they had been freely redeemed. Uh, And again, it's another illustration for us, isn't it? That uh, when we are redeemed, we look back and we can see, well, I I was captive, but now no longer. We read in the Old Testament the story of Ruth. And uh, we'll look at that again in a moment. But we find the story of Ruth where Naomi and Ruth, having lost their families, they were in captivity to poverty. They were in captivity to the culture and age in which they lived where really they had nothing what they had had to be bought by someone else they could not extract themselves but Boaz we read could do that he could bring them out of their captivity and into a relationship of love comfort and wealth so this morning as we look at this subject of redemption it reminds us first that we were or if we're unredeemed we still are Captive, we need to be redeemed. But secondly, redemption points us, of course, to a redeemer. Now, if my watch 
had any life in it and it sat in that pawn shop, it would listen every time the door opened and it would look for me. Anyone else came in, it would ignore them because they were not going to redeem them. They didn't have a ticket. It would just look for me. It's a bit like some animals, isn't it? Particularly if a dog, dog perhaps might bark at a passerby, but when it sees you, when it sees its owner, then there is recognition. And that's what we have here. The principle in the Old Testament scripture is that if someone was redeemed, it could only be done by what the scripture calls a near kinsman, a near relative. We've got that example that I've just mentioned of Ruth, Naomi and Boaz. Boaz was a near kinsman. There was another, but he gave up his right. We, we read that in Ruth chapter 4. And, and so Boaz, as a kinsman, uh, he redeemed them. He married Ruth. And in the end, he was the only one who could do that because he was the only kinsman, as it were, in line. That's what happened at the end of the day. Only he had the right to do that. And he did it, didn't he, in front of the the council at the city gate. No one else could have done that. Someone else came along and says, well, I want to redeem them. He said, no, you've got no right to do that. And my friends, redemption points us to the redeemer. There was only one who had the right to redeem us. There was only one who had the capacity to redeem us, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 7, the one we're looking at, right at the beginning, it says, in whom we have redemption. It's Christ alone is our redeemer. Jesus Christ is the only one qualified, being God and yet being human and being without sin. It's what he came into the world to do. But he's not only the one qualified to be our redeemer, he was the one who was willing to be our redeemer. And Boaz, he could have passed up that offer. He said, no, I'm not interested. But he didn't. He took it up, that right. And Christ came into the world to be a redeemer, to buy back sinners. It's a wonderful thing that he did. And today he is saving a people from all nations and tribes all around the world. And when that work is done, then he will come Again, praise God that many know there is a redeemer. You know, it's a wonderful thing. We read in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the worlds in a moment. He created all of creation that we see within those six days. And yet to redeem one sinner, he came in the flesh, lived 30 odd years, suffered, went to the cross, was purged, was whipped had nails put in his hands and his feet. He bled, had a crown of thorns, and he died in great agony. And our sin was laid upon him. He took all of that to save one sinner. And yet, throwaway verse, isn't it, in Genesis 1. He made the stars also. Gives us some idea of the value that he places on us. My friends, how he loves us. What a redeemer. So it points us to a redeemer. Redemption also then points us to a price. My watch, let's pretend it was worth a thousand pounds. It isn't. It isn't, right? So nobody come up to me after, can I borrow your watch? It's worth a thousand pounds. They might give me a hundred pounds for it, a ticket. Say, come back next week or within three months, give us a hundred and twenty pounds and you can have it back. And uh, it would be free, wouldn't it? And a price is fixed according to the value of that watch. My friends, what value do you have? What are you worth? 
If you do research into what you're worth in the sense of elements, we're worth a few nails and a few other chemicals, worth a few pounds. If you could melt us down, as it were, and just use those bits and pieces. In some countries, you could sell parts of your body. Kidneys worth a few pounds, and, uh, you know, wouldn't be much left to be any good, but uh, someone would have some money. But, you know, in the Psalms, we're reminded that outside of Christ, we are corrupt, and there is none that doeth good. In other words, when we look at our value before God, we think, well, hang on a minute, am I worth anything? If the Bible says I am corrupt and there is none that seeketh after God, there is none that doeth good, perhaps I'm not worth much, perhaps I am just worth that bag of nails. But there's more. What about our eternal souls? This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And he says, what is a man profited? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In the words of Christ, what can we give? You could say in that sense, in the eyes of God, we're priceless. The world that he created, can you give, can you give the whole world? Were the whole realm of nature mine? No good. No good. This begins, us, begins to help us understand the value that God puts on us. So there is a price to be paid for your redemption and mine. To, to get us free from the grip of sin and, and the evil one. And away from our eternal damnation as a destination. There is a price that has to be paid for our redemption. And if we say, what are we worth? We're not really worth much at all in that sense. But what did Christ have to pay? And here is an important truth. This redemption is about us because he's redeeming a people. But it's also about God. That God's justice may stand. And that God has to decide what is the price to be paid that he can be satisfied in my redemption. The price is the life and death of the perfect sacrifice of God's only begotten son. And in particular, the shedding of his precious blood to cleanse me from my sin. That's the price for my redemption. And my friends, it's the same price for your redemption. We say, well, I'm not sure I've been redeemed. I'm not sure I'm a Christian. It's the same price. Same price. You must come in the same way. And that's what God had to do. To satisfy himself that he might have fellowship with me and that my sin might be removed. That that God's wrath might be spent on Christ instead of me. Theologically, we call it propitiation. Price is the precious blood of Jesus. We read elsewhere, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And there's lots of hymns we could have sung this morning. One is, precious is the flow, isn't it, that makes me white as snow. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus. No other way is known. So in Ruth's case, Boaz, we said, was the only one qualified to redeem. And he had to pay the full price. And he did it in an open place so everyone could witness what was happening. And so, my friends, the redemption of sinners was done in an open place. It was done in Calvary, wasn't it? 
Christ was lifted up on a, on a cross that all might see, that all might witness it, this great and mighty act. One standing by said, didn't he, at the time, as the rocks rent and the earthquake came and the great veil in the temple was ripped up and darkness covered the earth, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. It must have been amazing to have been there, to see Christ upon the cross and then see all these other things happening. That's our Redeemer. That was the price paid for your redemption and mine. And it's an amazing thing that the creator God should become redeemer God for worthless sinners. Well, that's how we're described in so many places. But in the the eye and mind of God, we were worth coming because of Christ, that he would come and he would pay that ultimate price to redeem us. Fourthly, redemption points us to forgiveness. Indeed, it more than points us to forgiveness. It is forgiveness. It is forgiveness. Redemption points us to freedom, but forgiveness must come first. We're forgiven, and thus we are free. No one can free us from the law and and sin without knowing the forgiveness of their sin. And this is the, the key, isn't it, to fellowship with God. It is sin that is between us. We need the forgiveness of that sin. We we can't forgive ourselves. It is only through Christ's redemptive work. And we can't get by these things. We, We can't bypass these things to become a Christian. We need to know that we're sinners. And we need to come to the Lord and say, I know I'm a sinner and I know you're the saviour of sinners. And therefore I cast my all on thee. What a forgiveness. A forgiveness of every sin, forever, never to be remembered. We, f- we remember our sins. Sadly, even when we're forgiven, we remember them, but that's, that's the way we're made, isn't it? But God doesn't. He, he forgets our sins because in the mind of God, they don't exist anymore because of the power of his blood dealt with them. They're gone. It's a forgiveness that goes on and on. It's a forgiveness that's certain. Judgment won't be sought twice. Judgment was paid for your sin on the cross of Calvary. It's gone, so how can he demand it again? We was watching a programme on television. Some of you may see these programmes on homesteading, uh, usually in Alaska or somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And uh, there was one there recently where there were some fires coming and uh, they could see the smoke five or six miles away and they said, what are we got to do? to make our homestead fireproof. What did they have to do? They had to cut all the trees down around the homestead so that they couldn't catch fire. And on some of them, they had to actually burn the ground around the homestead. In other words, they, they fired the homestead in order that when the fire came, there was nothing to burn because it had already been burnt. And that's like us on the cross of Calvary. Christ took our sin. He was burnt, if you like, So that when it comes to the fire and judgment reaching us, there's nothing to burn. It's not there. It's already been burnt, as it were, on the cross of Calvary. He has borne it all away. And that's certain. And it's a a forgiveness that's based on the word of God, because we're told we're forgiven. It's a forgiveness based on Christ's death and resurrection. It's a, a forgiveness based on his shed blood. And it's a forgiveness that we can enjoy but not abuse, 
to know that we've been forgiven. Reminds me of the word of the psalmist. I think we read it last week. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places, in all his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Talks about even the heavenly host. Bless the Lord. And my friend, if the heavenly host, if angels and his works should bless the Lord, how much more are people that have been forgiven? As one verse of a hymn says, but when angels tell their story, they must fold their wings, for they don't know the joy that salvation brings. They marvel. They look on and see how is it that a, a world of sinful people that God should send his only begotten son and die for them? He made them. They've rebelled against him. Amazed they see the awful sights. The king of glory die. They can only just watch and gaze in amazement. But my friends, you've been forgiven. What was the hymn we sang or a verse for him we sang last week? True pleasures abound in the rapturous sound and whoever has found it has paradise found. My Jesus to know and to feel his blood flow, tis life everlasting, tis heaven below. If you're a forgiven sinner here this morning, if you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, tis, ever, tis life everlasting, it's a taste of heaven below. One more, fifthly, redemption points us to freedom. The point of returning to the pawn shop is to free my watch from the dingy domain of that shop. And so Christ comes and he frees us from the dingy domain of death and sin and ultimate eternal damnation. But my watch is to know more than freedom, isn't it? If I take my watch from the pawn shop and put it in my pocket and when I get home I put it in a drawer, it's not really any better off than being in a pawn shop. And so it is for us. We're to have new life in Christ. We're to live in that way. This watch is to be worn. It's to be given a place of honour. And we're to live as children of the heavenly king. I'm to consider and think about my life in Christ. I am free from the penalty of sin. I have eternal life in Jesus Christ. I'm going to glory and I shall see him in all his glory. I will see those that have died in Christ that have gone before. And I have a redemption that, that cannot be lost, that cannot be sold. I've been given a freedom that is mine. You say, well, why not go back into captivity? Do we, do we not, can we not slip back as it were? My friends, if we could be lost after we've been redeemed, it would mean the Father got it wrong. It would mean the Spirit of God got it wrong. It would mean that Jesus Christ's blood was not effective in your case. My friend, these things cannot be. We're safe in Christ. You say, well, some people seem to go back again. That's true. Some people do hanker after the world, which is uh, it's very foolish, isn't it? Like my watch saying, well, I don't want to be worn anymore. I want to go back to the pawn shop. I liked in that, that dingy shop. My friends, if people have been truly redeemed the Lord will enable them to retrace their steps. 
No, we have a redemption that is sure, a redemption that cannot be sold again. It's a perfect work of God for sinners, not just like you and me, but for you and me. Ruth found great blessing in her redemption, in the love of Boaz, and uh, more blessing as she gave birth to Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who of course was in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of sinners. She was redeemed, and ultimately down her family line was to come the Redeemer. Well, my friends, what have we looked at so far? Five things. Redemption points us to captivity. We were sinners, bound, captive. Points us to a redeemer, Jesus Christ, the only redeemer. Points us to a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Points us to the forgiveness of sin and points us to freedom. It's a little bit of application. My friends, if redeemed, remember that you now belong to Christ. We're not free to do what we want. We belong to Christ. He has purchased us. Just as Boaz purchased all that he did. We've been bought with the most expensive price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we are now to be willing servants of the Most High God. And we have to think like that. We have to remember, no, I'm not my own, I'm his. And therefore, all I have is his. We have to behave like that. We're to give like that. We're to worship like that. When we come into this house of prayer, we come in as as people that have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. We don't come in in our own strength, as it were. I'm coming to my Redeemer. But then, what about anyone who knows not the Saviour? Still in the pawn shop. Still in bondage. Got that ticket, as it were, around us, unredeemed. My friend, you can be redeemed. That's the wonderful thing, isn't it? The watch could not redeem itself, uh, and we can't redeem ourselves, but Jesus Christ came into the world just to do that. And what does he say? What does he require of us? He says you need to repent, you need to believe, and he gives us those gifts. He says, seek me, call upon me. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who believe in in, a in a saving way, they, they shall be saved. He has never, never, ever uh, refused to redeem a sinner that came to him. Such is his grace. My friends, this is something our Redeemer does, not grudgingly. We'll see this evening. He does it abundantly. And what does it say in our text? in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. He abundantly pardons. We have the riches of his grace. And that's what he's offered this morning. If there's any who know not the Saviour, then seek him. And uh, the scripture gives you confirmation that you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. And you too must know this wonderful Redeemer. Well, may the Lord so help us for his name's sake. (coughs) Thank <coughs> you.